So on this episode of Waiting for Review, I'm joined by a past guest. Um, this man, he deserves a bit of an introduction. He is the host of the Pow Keys podcast, uh, which I believe is currently about to be on a hiatus for a year, but I'm sure he'll tell us about that. Um, he has, is also a writer. He writes for Tech Radar, um, and he also has a book about a well-known computer game character that it's just released. I've brought Daryl Baxter onto the show. Hi, Daryl. Hey, Dave. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. I believe I should give the audience just a little bit of a, a clue as to why I've introduced you onto the show. Um, and that is because mm. you're not an indie app developer, right? And um, No. <laughs> no. <laughs> but you are very much within the the tech scene you're writing over at tech radar and i believe you understand an awful lot about um aspects of the tech world that mm. i think is useful for indie app developers to understand so yeah yeah 100 percent. so i'm going to get started asking you daryl um a couple of questions about yeah sure how you got into writing in the technology space what brought you into this sort of sphere yeah so um i mean i told the story of like the uni magazine before um but i mean like when i was freelancing a few years ago i was just kind of like dipping my toe into a few avenues like you know what i was good at what i was passionate about with the writing and uh it was always technology really technology and games i mean before it i was uh if anyone's in the uk like if you went to an o2 store um and the guru was there uh, the tech support i was that guy for three years yeah. and uh, you know just helping customers and training staff it was a lovely you know fun time but i wanted to do the writing and uh in the evenings i'd pitch and freelance now and again when i could and uh, yeah fast forward a few years when i was in manchester i just decided to go for it really with the freelancing um i, I wrote like a little uh uh newsletter about it actually a couple of months ago just what happened in 2018 and yeah. decided to go for it with a freelancing and uh, i pitched to mac format um just you know writing up a few guides and stuff and uh, it just led from there really and uh the freelancing just kept going and going and then uh earlier this year um i was offered the chance to go for tech radar and uh i got it so my role is just really writing about all kinds of software and the latest downloads and updates. So it's really just kind of talking with app developers every day um, about what updates they're bringing and what they're planning as well. Awesome. Yeah, so we crossed paths, I think, just as you were starting to write a lot more about iOS and the Apple ecosystem. I think that was yeah. probably where we, we first made contact. And obviously we had you on the show um, back when I was uh, partnered on the show with, with Dave Knott in season mm. one. Um, and I think you filled in for me last year as well, actually. Uh, <laughs> I when, did, yeah. And I was incapacitated. Um, I'd love to say I remember that, but uh, concussions are a tricky thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, you got into the, the, the technology writing space. You've been writing reviews uh, for iOS apps mm. and a yeah. whole load of other other things around games, right? Yeah, yeah, plenty. I mean, uh, 
definitely a tech radar. I mean, I made sure that, and I said to like the higher ups, I wanted to write, you know, a lot more about like the apps that people use every day, or even just like the ones that, you know, that involve developers that are just starting out as well. Because I think, especially with the pandemic, I mean, it's kind of driven a lot of people to switch careers, discover new things. And that's the same for developers I've found as well. In only like the seven, six, seven months I've been at tech radar. So it's been really interesting just kind of like, you know, going on Twitter, asking for like any, uh, you know, any uh, developers with certain apps. And uh, I mean, the response like, already has been really encouraging. Um, but uh, yeah, there's, to be honest, you know, as far as I'm concerned, there's a lot more work to do. Oh, that's awesome. So you've been able to boost the profiles of, of some indie app developers already through that work. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, when it comes to WWDC, I mean, it's only a month in. But I already said, like, I want to do this. And, you know, I did a feature where I interviewed a few app developers, um, like Becky Hansmeyer, Ben McCarthy, um, Shehab, um, all great people, all great apps. And I just kind of like did an interview for like what they wanted to see yeah. at WWDC. And then I did another one where they kind of gave a verdict of it. And I thought that worked really well. Um, and, the, you know, with the pandemic, um, I was just sitting at home. So, um, you know, I've already got plans for next year. I mean, hopefully, if everything goes well, I'll be able to actually talk to people face to face, which feels like a bit of a, you know, a bit of a treat now yes. after, <laughs> you know, after so long. Um, but yeah, it's been really great just kind of talking to people who are either up and coming, who have been around the community for years. Um, but yeah, I really just kind of want to push that, you know, that passion of, of developing really. So, uh, yeah. Awesome. So I'm wondering like along the way, you must surely have come across, um, quite a few sort of nuggets of insight from the other side of the fence in terms of what, uh, indie app developers could do to approach Mm. different sort of press organizations, online blogs, that sort of thing. Um, is there anything that you think um, would be worth sort of sharing? Yeah, I mean, like I'll get you know, emails every few days from like developers or others, and it's it's really kind of like with the emails, like dependent on the first impression. Because I mean, I'll get easily like fifty emails a day, or it could be more, like depending on depending on what the event is. So you know, if I get a, a an email like I got one last week for instance where it's like hello Darren will this app be good for enemy and it's like do you know like who I'm working for and what my name is <laughs> and it's <laughs> like come on <laughs> so I was like that's in the bin yeah. so I think like <clears throat> you know the best thing really the best thing would be to in the subject line say what the app is yeah say what it does or even like if it's an update you know is it is it coming with share play um you know in the future even is it coming with um is it going to be great with universal control with the mac and the ipad yeah um just get get to the point really you know but, but and, in the um, actual in the subject line of the email itself or as a first line I think like, in, in the message i'd say both to be honest yeah. um because there that way it kind of like gets me to kind of like just discover like more about you and the app and yeah. I, and really to be honest like if there's like a zip file of press kit images that I can just drop in all the better because there's so many times where I'll have, you know, previews of apps where they're behind like a colored um, backgrounds 
and especially for tech radar it can be a bit difficult trying to you know lift those out and put it into like one of the approved things so like like a clear background um just with like the iphone and the app which is showcasing the feature because there's images sometimes where i've had apps where they don't really showcase what they're talking about yeah um so I think the best thing is just to like, you know, get to the point, showcase what you're actually, you know, wanting to tell me. And if even like you're free for questions and stuff as well, I mean, that'd be great as well, because I have found with a lot of readers that they want to get into the insight of, you know, like why this feature is here on the app or, you know, like why is this app even existing? And the readers are really interested to know about that. So, you know, if they're able to kind of like say this in like a, like small question answering the email as well that'd be great because i think you know the the devil's in the detail really um yeah and because we're in a a time where there's there's you know thousands upon thousands of apps um it's going to make the right impression really that's really interesting so you you must be getting people approach you where they're not even telling you why the app was created in the first place or why the app um yeah yeah why (laughs) Uh, yeah (laughs) yeah that's that, that's it yeah i mean i want i want the detail of it i want the why yeah because if you're just telling me you know what the app is and that's it i mean it's not really giving me a lot of lot to work with you know yeah. so i like to do features that involve you know a few apps um a few you know like interviews as well just to give the context to the app as well like the background of it and i think without that um i'm just you know i may come back to it but yeah just give me some detail give me some clear press images and if you're able to give me a question and answer all the better that's really interesting i've never really heard that about the the q a sort of side of it before that's uh that's definitely a good uh addition to my own mm, mental arsenal yeah. i think there uh, yeah because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i mean thinking this through i guess what i assume a lot of like people's press kits and that side of thing miss is there's a whole bunch within what you've just said, but I think it's about being able to give you the elements that let you bring it mm. together with other things and the elements that let you turn it into a story. And mm. these things, the, the, these aspects we've just talked about just now, I think those, if you are given those things straight off the, off the bat, then it's going to mm. be that much easier for you as the writer to go, right, I know where that fits. Spot on. It's, yeah. that's that's the that's the main thing really it's like i want to know why this app is either appearing for the first time or being updated and how it's going to benefit the reader that's the main thing that i'm always looking for how does it benefit the reader who goes to tech radar every day you know and and you know what's and how's it going to make them upgrade to your app especially when it's in the same category as maybe a photography app or something what makes your app better yeah so i think that's like kind of the main thing that i kind of want to get through and obviously if there's like a test flight link inside or a promo app then all the better because that way i can get straight into it and just see how i um how i can use it as well yep yeah for sure and i i would say very definitely i i i would assume that a public test flight link would suit you better than anything else right yeah i mean i've got <laughs> so many like <coughs> test flights like in my accounts and uh i mean i managed to get the facebook and twitter uh test flights and uh right. they're they're interesting ones they they'll, they'll test out certain features and uh 
But the thing is, like even in the release notes when they update it in the test flight, it just says like the bug fixes and improvements, but you have to actually update it to find out what's there. Oh. And I think that's a good point as well. Like even if you don't give me like an email like after sending me a, like a previous one about what the app is, if you send an update in test flight, be detailed in the description because that way I'll be able to know exactly what's been changed. Yep. Yeah, for sure. I think from a dev's point of view, knowing how test flight works as well, uh, my recommendation that I'd add to that would be that I think devs could think about uh, groups of their test flight releases. So actually to have a group Mm. for people in the press, because you may have a beta version that you want, you know, your immediate testing group to specifically test an issue. Uh, But Mm. when you're getting close to release, having a... uh, more public if you like test flight group might make more sense if you see what i mean so that you're not getting every single last minute bug fix update but when it's ready to rock and roll with version 2.0 or whatever it's loud and clear on that test flight release as well for you yeah yeah you're spot on i mean there's like other apps like such as uh whatsapp or monzo that update themselves every 12 hours right and you know I'll, I'll, I just won't download it. I just won't keep up. No. It's like, yeah, I think you're spot on there. I mean, if there's a group flight for press instead, which is as a major update that's just about ready to go, yeah. then that's a great thing for me. Awesome. So in the last few weeks, we've had the new um, Apple MacBook Pros released. Mm. We've had our M1 Pro, our M1 Max machines, and I believe you've got one, Daryl. You've, you've got yes. a 14-inch, <laughs> is it? Yeah, the uh, yeah the fourteen inch, um, the the higher end one, uh, one terabyte, all the cores, and uh, yeah, it's it's something else, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you what you thought of the new Max. If you've bought one, then I think it's pretty fair to say you're you're all over them. Yes, yeah, pretty much. I've had it four days now, and <clears throat> I've already got the fans whirring um, through my little tests, and yeah, it's just something else because. I mean, like we spoke about this before, and I've said about it on Tech Radar that I've kind of outgrown the iPad now. Um, I've been going full time on it for a few years, um, but I kind of realised on the iPad, yeah. And mm. but after iPad OS fifteen, it kind of like I realised that the direction that Apple's going with it, it's not the direction that is going to suit me for what I'm doing for my work, you know, every day or or the other plans that I'm I'm thinking of as well. Yeah. So I kind of like decided, well, I'm just going to get a Mac now. I'm going to go back to the Mac and kind of like see what the next um, M1 chips or M2 chips will will have. And when the MacBook Pros got announced with the ports and the screen and the actual good keyboard, I was like, <laughs> yep, yeah, I'm having that. So, yeah, I picked it up last week. And, uh, I'm, yeah, honestly, Dave, I'm just impressed by it. It's just an incredible machine. Um, yeah. Because well, I went from a, a 2013 MacBook Air, so I didn't even get the benefit of a retina display, you know? Wow. So... <laughs> yeah, having this is just insane. It's something else. It's like from Star Trek in the minute. <laughs> yeah, well, you've just leapt forward to like eight years in development yeah. and from an air to a pro machine as well. That's uh, that's pretty crazy, mate. That's that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's nuts. I mean, like I've I've been sending like videos of like my tests of uh, parallels and uh, and the games, and my jaw was just, just been open. I mean, my partner Lauren was like looking at me going. What? Why is your jaw open? What's going on? It's like, honestly, I'm I'm playing like 
Metal Gear Solid 5 on full speed on this thing. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> and that was through Parallels, right? Running uh, Windows 11? Yeah, yeah. So um, I went into settings to make sure that it had all the memory it could <coughs> with all the cores as well. And I just thought I'd try a few games because I did a feature like in August um, because we have PC Gaming Week on Tech Radar every August. Yeah. And um, I thought I'd just test out this M1 Mac Mini with Parallels. And it was fine, um, but I only managed to do it with, well, let's see, it was 30 frames just on yeah. medium settings, no anti-aliasing. And it was fine. But then I went to this MacBook like just yesterday, and I've, everything's on high. Everything's in 1440p, and it's full speed. And I can't believe it. it. It's like it's a it's a it's an Apple Silicon like port. It's ridiculous. Yep, that's brilliant. Uh, that that's obviously running through Rosetta as well. Is that right? I don't actually. I think Parallels is now running through like native M1. So the virtualization side, um, really, of, of Windows 11 is just, it's the translation that Parallels is doing now. And I know this this point one release that they recently brought out has been focused on games. Yeah. Um, so it's it's almost, honestly, it's just like magic almost, like the way <laughs> they've been able to do this. It's, it's really ridiculous. So um, I'm trying to like kind of get some more recent games, get Epic Games running as well, because I think if I can get Fortnite running on this thing, um, that could be an interesting one. <laughs> so that'd be weird. <laughs> Fortnite on a Mac. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The only reason why I've clearly bought this MacBook Pro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so that's great. I mean, as a dev, I stress test machines out by putting Xcode on it, compiling my biggest project mm. and seeing how long it takes. And that's it for me. Yeah. That's it, right? It's like as long as Xcode is faster, pretty much everything else I use is guaranteed to get a speed bump with a new machine. In that case, and yeah, I'm happy that that's it. Uh, but for someone like yourself, obviously, the, this other aspect of the machines is um, is incredible. Just being able to run the virtualized software in that way opens up yeah. an entire library of games to you as well. So, yeah, it, yeah, it, I think this era of machines is kind of like apple's return back into the mac i mean that that feels mm. so obvious to say but if i think back to sort of two or three years ago when me and dave were talking about the the potential of arm on for apple mm. uh, for the mac uh there was a rumor it must have been about three years ago now there was a rumor that went around and we had a whole show talking about the potential of of, of what we now know are apple silicon machines mm. and the vision wasn't really clear back then right there, there yeah. was a whole thing within that rumor about the idea that apps were going to be so much more locked down and it was essentially going to be an ipad with a keyboard and that was it um <laughs> yeah these machines are not that that's 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 not what has happened um and it's i think it's it's fair to say that they're better than what we were even imagining them to be at that point in time mm, 100% 100% i mean i remember the days of you know marzipad and catalyst and what it was going to mean for ipad and iphone apps and how developers would react and uh, i think that has been like a bumpy road of catalyst i mean i remember it wasn't the greatest a couple of years ago even yeah and uh now, I mean, it, I mean, honestly, like to me, like um, on the consumer side, on the on the press side, it feels like a lot of these games and uh, and apps from iOS and iPad just work really good now. I mean, really well, and uh, I don't really feel like there's a cannibalization really 
it, it no. just feels like if you want to run an app on the Mac, well, you can, you know, and it's up to developer if it wants to make it run on the Mac as well, which I think is a good thing. Yes. But um, yeah, it's, I feel like we're in that um, second album now <laughs> of M1, Apple Silicon really, um, of the Mac. And just the fact that, you know, we've got a Mac where it's got a HDMI port, finally, um, a great keyboard, ProMotion on the display. Um, you know, MagSafe is finally back. And I just feel like it's a, I mean, for me anyway, Dave, it's like the ultimate Mac for me. Yeah. It's it's really something else. And, uh, you know, a lot of people really feel like, like wait for the M2 or the MacBook Air, whatever could be coming. But I'm just the opinion that it's inevitable. You know, you're going to have like faster chips. I mean, people with iPhones and iPads have had that thing for years, you know, yeah. um, A13, 14, 15 improvements. You know, if you want, if you want, a Mac or anything now, just get it and enjoy it, you know? Um, and I think with this, I think I'll be keeping this for a good 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And I think I, I would definitely agree. Like, I mean, as a developer, obviously I want to have a machine that is running my code as fast as it can run. But when it comes mm. down to deciding what machine to get right now, my advice has gone from very specific views about configurations to buy the best within your budget and from a dev mm. perspective make sure you have 16 gigs of ram mm. <laughs> and beyond, beyond that it, it, it's like you know if you want to do that on an m1 macbook air that's what i'm doing at the moment with my own machine um or yeah. one of these new macbook pros like obviously the pro is going to be faster right that's mm. a given but the m1s themselves are still speedy little machines so we really are in this sort of stage where the chips are, are giving us quite a lot, you know, and, and if I think what these machines compare like in terms of their speed to the Intel machines, mm. like it's just night and day now. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Yeah. I mean, I remember, I remember I can go as far back, Dave, as like when, Apple were trying to put a G5 into the PowerBook, you know, like yeah. they were just struggling with that thing for ages. And I think that's what made them like, you know, a big part anyway, like made them decide to switch to Intel. Yeah. And I think for years, we were all kind of like really enjoying like the, the great speed gains and, you know, like Core 2 Duo and everything. It was lovely. But, you know, times change. And now, I mean, it's just, it really is something else with these machines. I'm just impressed like every time, like just how, even on the battery, actually, as well. Like, yesterday, I was just doing, like, work um, on it, and the battery was, like, eight hours. I yeah. thought, that's just, just bizarre, you know, I just on a machine like this. And, uh, you know, and I remember when MacBook Air, like, 2013, I mean, it would probably last maybe, like, five, six hours yep. at best. Yeah. And that was it. <laughs> but, yeah, really happy so far. That's good to hear. Yeah, it's. I think that's the thing, because I think now, because I've still got my iPad Pro from three years ago, and I've got the gaming PC, because in the pandemic, I was just, obviously, I couldn't go anywhere, so I was using my gaming PC to do work on, and the iPad now and again. But it just felt a bit like, why am I doing this? <laughs> because the gaming PC was meant just for games, like, yep. oddly enough, you know, it's in the name. And uh, I just thought, I don't like doing work on this PC, because I'd get, obviously, with Windows, I mean, I was... Oh, I got a short straw of like, you know, blue screen of death or I'd wake the screen up after, you know, 
having a break and uh, the whole thing would just freeze up really and it would just be so fr- yeah just so frustrating i mean it happened like even last week actually before i've collected this mac and uh and now i'm just on this 14 inch and it's just fantastic but so now i'm kind of like reconsidering what my setup will be i mean i might get a dock so i can just you know have it connected to the external display that i have with the gaming pc yeah um the ipads at the minute i mean it's just pretty much a, a youtube device but at the minute i think i'm just really happy with how it is and i think once universal control lands on mac os which has been delayed like countless times now yeah. i think that'll be interesting to see how that works um when the Mac's connected to the external monitor and the iPad knows that it is as well. So I'll be curious how that works. Yeah. Yeah. Likewise. I think universal control is something that's really, really piquing my interest in front of me. I've got my personal MacBook here that I do all of mm. my, my solo development on. Um, I've got a work machine to the right of it and they're on the same network. I can, you know, airplay the display from one to the other uh which is great now both machines are running monterey but i found just this evening actually that when you do that the airplay resolutions don't match the actual use usage resolutions of the mac so i've got it's a they're both 13 inch machines i run them Mm. at um the 14400 um like display resolution size and yeah. when you airplay, you only get the choice of the, the HD resolutions all the way through up to 4K, which is great, but then it's mm. a mismatch size when you've got them sat next to each other. So the dream I had of having like these two machines connected and then just having a, a bigger display by having them next to each other, yeah, it's not quite bearing out. <laughs> mm. so, yeah, it's a strange one, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, uh, but with universal control, at least I should, in theory, be able to just have my um, keyboard and my trackpad connected to the main machine, and then I can just swipe them over to the other. That's yeah, is the dream. Um, yeah, it'd be nice. I mean, I'm. I mean, I was expecting it to come in the Monterey betas, and uh, when I spoke with Apple, um, I said like. You know what's happening universal control because it's not where to be seen and all they said was uh, watch this space right so yeah i was like oh, okay right well so i'm kind of thinking that <coughs> um they're probably going to bring it out i think anyway if like maybe os mac os like 12.2 maybe 12.3 in the early next year i think that wouldn't um, be too too off a prediction because it's still not showing up properly in the betas now is it no none at all i've got 12.1 um running on the mac mini and uh yeah it's just nowhere so um yeah, yeah I, I feel like maybe they're just kind of making sure that the latency is just spot on really because it's a big thing really like making yeah. sure that like two machines work in in, uh, in tandem the latency is the big deal and i found like i say when i've been playing with the airplay sharing between the machines airplay is brilliant right now for me between two mm. machines that are next to each other um it's it's really quite good um, I don't know if that's just the fact that I'm in the same room as the Wi-Fi router in this house. But anyway, the, the AirPlay's blown me away, really, in that sense, even if the resolutions aren't matching up. But um, <laughs> you need that um, you need that latency to be low t- to give you the proper experience with universal control. So, mm. yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if they're sort of putting the finishing touches on that. And I think, the other thing is, is there's, there's a couple of hacks out there to turn it on, so people have been sort of yeah. playing with it. Uh, but uh, 
that's not for me. <laughs> I can wait. No, nor me. Yeah, same. Yeah, I'm just going to wait and just see what happens. But uh, it's the last big tentpole feature of this year, really. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'll be curious like when it arrives and even if maybe they change the requirements because I think at the minute it's just Monterey and iPadOS 15, the requirements. But I wouldn't be surprised, Dave, if like they limit it to certain iPads as well, just in case. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. I could see that being a, a thing or potentially just rolling out to the pro iPads first and then seeing how they go. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. One of the other things I wanted to catch up with you about, Daryl, was the fact that you've been writing a book for quite some time (laughs) now. And um, I think one of the the, the aspects that I wanted to sort of touch on, I mean, you can tell us all about the book in a second. um, But one of the things I think about writing is that I think the process of writing a book, of bringing everything together, figuring Mm. out how it's supposed to to be you know the order of the book everything else and then following that all the way through to the actual publishing process i think it has some similarities to to indie app development to be honest just in terms of some of the considerations yeah that's true um so i think tell us all about your book and then let's talk a bit about your creative process as well because i think that'd be quite awesome to hear about Yeah, sure. So it's a book that I've had in mind since I was at uni, really. Um, One of my very first articles was um, talking about Tomb Raider 2. And um, a couple months after, it was interviewing the composer of the first three games, Nathan McCree. Um, So if you ever did a boat in in Venice or uh, (coughs) fought a T-Rex and you heard the music, that was him. And uh, since then, I just had the idea that a story about the, the development of the of a first game would be really great for a book. And I kind of parted it for years and years and years. And uh, <clears throat> and when the pandemic hit, I knew that, you know, even though I was in a, you know, a, a job and things were fine, I thought, you know, I mentally, I, I kind of like recharge by, <clears throat> I recharge by like being social and things and, uh, yeah. and I wasn't going to have that. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to pitch this book and uh, just see how it goes and it took maybe two weeks and uh pen and sword like got in contact and uh we had a chat and picked it up and uh in nine months uh mostly during the uh the lockdown and the pandemic um i managed to get the interview transcribe them make write it up make sure the chapters matched and i yeah i submitted it to them uh january this year brilliant and so that was that was through the pandemic last year, like you say, for nine months, and then mm. you submitted it off, and your book was actually released just in the last few weeks, right? Yeah, yeah, just in time for the twenty uh, fifth anniversary of the first game being released. Fantastic. So uh, it's been a bizarre few weeks, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you actually did a you had a book launch, didn't you? I think that was held in Derby, was it? Yeah, so it was a whole day <coughs> um, uh, where um, an organiser, Luke, Luke Earl, he uh, got me there, he got a YouTuber, got a, a podcaster and YouTuber there as well. And yeah, it was a book launch at three o'clock where me and a few people from the original development team and the second voice of Lara Croft, um, Judith Gibbons, was all there on stage and asking us questions and I was talking about the book. Front cover was on the stage and uh, I had a stall where I was selling the books and signing it. And yeah, it was just very surreal. It's <laughs> just really surreal just to have all that. Um, 
not just after writing the whole thing, but also sitting with the developers yep. who, I talk, who I'd spoken to as well, um, and having people come over saying, "Oh, the books really inspired me." To, I'm sorry, the games really inspired me to do this. Yeah. Um, just really flattering, just really humbling to hear, you know. But uh, yeah, very surreal day, Dave. That's fantastic, though. And um, no, I mean that's one aspect of the process that's not like launching an app. I don't think that many indie app developers have have launch days that would look something quite like that. But maybe we should. Maybe maybe there's something there that uh, we, we should be having launch parties a little bit more for our apps or, or something like that. But, yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, yeah, like in a few uh, gin distilleries or something and uh, like call the gin the app name. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> that'd um, be good. I think one thing I'm interested to hear about, though, though, Daryl, is... Um, as you were writing the book, like, mm. how did you kind of organize things like your time? So, I mean, I, I know this was sort of pandemic times and you were probably in this kind of strange lockdown-y sort of stage as, as yeah. we can probably all relate to in one way or another. I can definitely relate to because New Zealand's kind of in this, this weird limbo lockdown at the moment with Delta. But mm. um, <laughs> no, tell me, tell me about like, how did you manage your your time sort of working on the book but also working on work because that's something where indie app developers we, we often find that quite difficult when we've got a day job to maintain yeah i mean at the time i was at um my previous job at, at stealth optional um the tech site of gfinity and uh yeah in the day i'd be making sure that you know like working with the writers and uh making sure like my you know my number of articles was out as well every day but uh, <laughs> you know, like mostly in the evenings, I'd be doing the book, like even doing like interviews or transcribing. Yeah. But also making sure that I had the layout of the book as well, because because I had this book in mind for years, I kind of knew like what I wanted to write about anyway. Um, so in this office with, where I'd be writing like you know stuff on the day job on the gaming PC, I'd have so many post-it notes just above the monitor of like who I would be featuring in which chapter and I could like swap it. Right. And uh, I, what I do is I <coughs> eventually I'd have all the interviews in a, in a massive Google docs. And honestly, like sometimes because I think there was some interviews where they'd last hour and a half, two hours. And I couldn't transcribe that day. That would take me like five hours yep. <laughs> just to make sure. And uh, this is where like that kind of like, the AI transcribing apps like came in. I think Otter I used. And now oh. it's that saved me yeah, that saved me so much time. Um it was incredible. Um but the challenge really because like this is a story about the, the first game and it actually turned into the first two games, because I realised that the original team worked on both, you know, one and two, so I thought, well, you know, this story is about the original team, so it's gonna involve a second game. Um it was making sure that all the interviews landed in the right chapter places to make a cohesive story. Yeah. Because that was the danger and that was the juggle that I had to do for nine months. So doing that with the day job, it was just making sure that I had my time available for the interviews, but also had other times in the week aside uh, to transcribe. So I think I would do the interviews during the week and what I would do on Sunday, yeah, this, yeah, it would. On Sunday, I would transcribe all the interviews that I would have and eventually it would just make one long document but i'd also make it make sure in this document that the uh 
that the interviews were in the certain chapter headings as well. So nothing yep. was in these chapters, Dave. It was just basically chapter one, chapter two, and the, and the interview transcriptions. Yep. Um, but it would give me an idea of how I would lay the book down and make sure it was all go. So I didn't really properly start like doing the, the book until last September, really, when I got all the interviews. Well, when I got 90% of the interviews. Yeah. And a lot of it was, like I say, months after that, making sure that the story was cohesive and it made sense and the interviews landed in the right spot. So, yeah, a lot of my free time was basically on the book because without this pandemic, Dave, I think I'd still be doing it now, to be honest. <laughs> you know, so That's fair. That's it was, fair. yeah, it was intense. It was an intense nine months. I don't think I'd do it again in that time frame. Um, no. But I think it's turned out well. <laughs> oh. Did you find that, um, I mean, one of the things that I find when I'm, uh, releasing an app is that I, mm. I, I refer to um, I've built the first 90% of the app mm. and that just leaves me the other 90% like you get all the way up to that last 10% and it's like it's an iceberg you know? <laughs> did, did yeah. you get that did that happen with the book um what do you mean like struggles like at the end or yeah just trying to get the final stage it's final bits brought together and Lots of little bits of the process that you might not have known about right up until you sort of hit it. Yes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, a lot of the points like near the end was making sure that the image is also laid up as well. Because all the images in the book are either taken by me or either taken by me or the people who I interviewed, they've sent me the photos as well. So it's making sure that they are in the right sections as well. Because there's no point in me like bringing the picture of a T-Rex in the first chapter when I'm talking about core design in 1988, because that's, that's, you know, eight years before Tomb Raider was being made. Yep. Um, so it's making sure that timeline was there. And actually, again, the post-it notes um, would help guide me into this. So it, yeah, like it, when it was December, when it was Christmas time, I didn't have Christmas off. I just had Christmas day off. And before that I was making, I was reading through the whole thing of the draft to make sure that it made sense. And I remember even then on boxing day, and making sure certain interviews they were in the wrong place and i was like oh god right yeah so i was then switching them to earlier chapters but also reaching out to others by email going oh i've just realized about this one thing would you mind just answering this so yeah it was to the wire but it was just all worth it in the end because otherwise you know it's like watching a movie if you're just watching a movie and there's like just a like a simpsons thing of like scene missing it won't make sense you know so you want to make sure that everything's cohesive and it tells a story that you can almost imagine that's happening as well yeah yeah it's got to have a a narrative and a flow Mm. Uh yeah that's a big thing did you uh did you beta test it did you have people like sort of do like a beta read of the book yes i did yeah. yeah, I did. I I did the first <coughs> three chapters yeah. um, to a couple of people. Um, and my editor as well at the time, Rob, um, at Stealth, he was great. He, he gave me like some good pointers, and uh, it was it was really good. And me, and by the end, I was like kind of like <laughs> like just sending like random chapters to him and a couple others um, because I, again, it was going back to that um, aim of making sure that every chapter made sense one after the other. And once I was getting the feedback that, yes, it was, then I was just kind of like finalizing everything. But yeah, those beta readers was just a godsend. It really did help things. Yeah. Um, 
because I think I think it relates to app development as well. I think if you kind of silo yourself into what you want to do for the app, you kind of kind of lose sight of what the app is in the beginning. Yep. So uh, I think you've got to make sure that you know other people are enjoying um, what you've created, essentially. Um, and I think that's 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 a really big thing of um, of making sure that it appeals to people. Yeah, and that aspect you've touched on as well of like cohesion and making sure things flow. I'd imagine your beta testers would give you give you some, uh, well, beta readers rather, um, would give you that feedback <laughs> as well, or be able to give you yeah. aspects of that. Um, so it sounds, it does sound familiar. Yeah, yeah, it really is actually. Yeah, like the more um, we're talking about this, it, it does make sense because, I mean. <sighs> You've also kind of like got to make sure that there's like a like a market or a need for it as well, and also it's a good amount of timing as well. Yeah. Because I think right now, for instance, I mean, I'm looking for apps that are taking advantage of SharePlay, for instance. You know, and I think that's really important, especially in these pandemic times as well. You know, you want to share some content, whether it's video or music. If your app has SharePlay, then you know you're going to shout out about it. But if you're bringing out SharePlay, maybe even like say six months later, you know, middle of next year, I mean, we could all be, you know, out of lockdown, you know, and SharePlay might yep. not often be used as it could be now. Well, the use, so, might, the use might change for it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's an important thing, actually, that relates to the book as well. It's also about timing, which is why I wanted this out for the 25th anniversary as well. Yeah. So um, I think you've got to time your moments as well. Definitely. That's an interesting thing to touch on because I think, um, quite often indie app developers don't think about timing at all it just goes from idea all the way through to it's done boom it's ready now do you want to buy Mm. it Mm. (laughs) Um, yeah and i think it depends on the app you know some markets timing's just probably not really a thing but i do think it's it's probably another aspect another lens that people could put on things especially like you say if the app itself has a particular brand new feature then timing is everything with that you know if it's riding on mm. the back of something like share play um yeah and like you say another six months another year the use for that could be different um mm. yeah it's definitely a good lens a good lens to put on things like when am i releasing this how does this sort of interplay with anything else yeah, I mean, it is a double-edged sword as well, because when Apple announces, like, for instance, iOS 15, um, and then developers have to get used to the new APIs and everything, and then there is that pressure. I have seen on Twitter, like, many times where they want to get the Apple update out for when iOS 15 launches. Yeah. <coughs> and, you know, that pressure is on, and, you know, that's a big thing of, of timing as well, because you want to you take advantage of, like, what the new release offers. Um, but... I mean, I will say, you know, don't risk your mental health for it. You know, just if it takes even just a week after, just do it, you know, yeah. because I think Apple learned from last year because, you know, they they announced the iPhone 12 and said that iOS 14 was being released the next day. And just the amount of, oh, like the pressure that I saw on Twitter, for instance, was just ridiculous. So, um, you know, I'd forgotten I think, about that. I'd forgotten about yeah. that like instant release. Yeah. Sort of moment. yeah yeah that wasn't good that that was uh there was a bit of panic about that at the time mm, yeah but i mean like <laughs> on the press side i mean i'd say like you know it i mean obviously you know we're going to be <coughs> covering the release and stuff but um you know if it if the app takes 
another week i mean don't worry about it i mean you know we've got all the time like to to try out the app and and you know and, and have a chat about it but there's no problem there so um yeah if it, if it really is time sensitive you know just a day after will be fine but don't try and kill yourself over it please <laughs> no that's that's definitely good advice um i think there's always a there's always time for the right app and the right thing as well so sometimes i guess the point i'd be trying to make would be there's no point killing yourself to get something out absolutely for day one and especially mm. not if what you release is not going to be as good as you might have if you just pace yourself and you're a little while later um yeah yeah for sure yeah i i think that's a an interesting thing actually with apple side because you know like even themselves i mean they've delayed features you know we, yep. we're seeing it now universal control <coughs> We saw it a lot with iOS 13, you know, with um, certain features being held back. I remember iCloud Drive or iCloud Drive um, files like having certain features like be pulled back. I think it was shareable yes. links that was not announced at WWDC, but it was released like next April, I think. Um, so, yeah. you know, Apple are a great example of, you know, like holding features back when they're ready. So I, I, and I'd say that's the same for developers, you know, just take your time with it. Yeah. Yeah, I reckon. Um, it's a it's a balance, certainly, to be had in that sort of sense. Because like you say as well, with mm. the share play stuff, there's an there's aspect where maybe you could be too late, sort of six months down the line. But I think for the right idea, it, that wouldn't be a sense of being too late. It would be a sense of the market might shift or change. Yeah, just coming back into the book for a second, Daryl, it sounds like you ended up with almost too much material in the end after you did all your transcriptions like how did you figure out what you wanted to keep and remove what was your process there the, the first plan of a book was just talking about the first game tomb raider one but like i say i mean i decided like late on that tomb raider 2 was going to be involved because that had the original team before they left you know so as i was talking it kind of like dawned on me through these interview transcriptions that i wanted to you know keep all of this and uh and then obviously with interviews, I mean, we go off to different topics. I mean, when we were talking, I was talking to Gav, like one of the programmers or Ian Livingston, you know, of, of Games Workshop and, and Fighting Fantasy. Um, we were talking about the sixth game, Angel of Darkness. That was the last two-meter game that Core Design worked on before it was handed over to Crystal Dynamics. I mean, we were talking about that. We were talking about the, the 10th anniversary game that got cancelled. And yeah, I mean, there were moments where I thought, oh, maybe I could talk about the 10th anniversary game. Um or you know the the angel of darkness but i thought no the focus here is about the first two games so what i would do is that i would transcribe all the interviews um before i'd have it into that chapter doc and just read through it and just see like what bits i could pick out for that certain chapter then put it into the document and what i had left <coughs> which i still have actually um of like thinking or oh, maybe that could be an extra chapter will i have time for that yeah and it was really just kind of like going back to the post-it notes actually of just seeing like how the story would fit. Um, and, 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 and it didn't fit. And it was again, going back to the, to the main aim of what the book is, who it's for, what it's about, what the story entails. So yeah, <laughs> it was a lot of cut content there. Um, yeah. but it was mainly just, making sure that the focus like i say that the focus of the book was about the first two games and that's it and i just had to stick to it and i think that relates to like an app as well because you might have like a like a spreadsheet of what you want to add to the app 
or a roadmap really of what you want it to be. And if you don't have time to like add a, a certain feature in the first release, then you know maybe have it in the test flight like a couple of weeks after. Yep. But um, you know, there's no harm in like kind of like holding features back or keeping them or cutting them for maybe a version two. No. Um, because you never know. You never know. But I will say actually, <laughs> there is no sequel to this book or extended cut i mean what's in the book is in the book so yeah um i'll just say that now <laughs> no but it's a good point right i mean obviously for a book it kind of makes immediate sense yeah you want the book to be concise you want it to to stay on topic like literally um mm. when we talk about an app release of version one or whatever i think as indie devs it can be very easy to you've got your laundry list of ideas right because we're good at that that that's that's the thing we have ideas we we're able to develop them um and usually when you've had one core concept for an app you've got a load of other ideas that sort of riff well oh maybe it could do this it could do that it could do this other thing um the thing i struggle with is is okay but what does version one look like and then at some point i have to just sort of get everything down in front of me a bit like your post-it notes but um I, i use trello which is just digital post-it notes right and yeah <laughs> um what i what i've got at the moment literally in front of me for for my video mixing app is i've split my features into distinct areas and then i've created a new board that is literally what is the scope of v1.0 yeah and then what i've done is i've I've got cards on there that are saying exactly what the feature scope is for one point one and if anything doesn't fit, there's a board next to it for 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 the next version so actually it's two point that I'm releasing that's my main board at the moment, mm. but then I've got two point one two point two two point three to the side of it, and I've literally just dragged everything over that doesn't make sense for for the for this this first version. And then the other features, I'm trying to group them for 2.1, group them for 2.2, group them for 2.3, so that then I can come back to people like yourself uh, for press coverage to say, this point version's been released and it's all about this. You know, they're they're themed. They should make cohesive sense as a group of features when they land. Um, Yeah, and I think, actually, that's kind of a good point, actually, because an email and a press release is fine, (laughs) but we're in an age now where... You know, we've got TikTok, we've got Twitter Spaces, <coughs> you know, Discord. Um, you know, there's no harm in like kind of <coughs> even have a, like a launch thing on Twitter Spaces, just so people can come in and ask about like the app or or, or the updates or something. I think you know, especially with like um, apps on on Apple's ecosystem, a lot of developers are on Twitter yep. more than anything, you know, and there's no harm in like saying that, you know, I'm going to do a Twitter spaces in the next day and I'll be available to ask about the upcoming update. I mean, that could be a great thing really as a launch thing. Um, because yeah. like I say, I mean, it's, it's, we use our device in so many ways. And I think just shouting about it in different ways and innovative ways could really help the app as well. That's a really good point. And that, that kind of calls back to what we were joking about before about a launch party for for an app but you could you could have a digital launch party for sure and show up in a lot of different places spaces or or otherwise um yeah that's that's i'm gonna steal that idea daryl i think actually when it comes down (laughs) to the time yeah yeah no absolutely anyone else listening yeah definitely (laughs) i think that's what we we want to see we want to see like you know again Email is fine, press kit is fine, but you know, 
hearing from the developer, like hearing from, uh, this is going to sound a bit wanky, excuse me, but, um, you know, like just hearing about like the chef about like how they make like that certain you know like their signature dish i mean you know people want to hear about how it's made and also like what the plans are as well we're, you know as, as, as species we're curious about what could be coming next you know so something like that would be really great especially if you have also a, a great audience who have been really well received with the uh, with the first version um or a different app instead so yep. stuff like that could really help that's cool that's um yes another aspect of all this i think developers need to think about the story they're telling about themselves and about the the apps that they're putting out indie developers i mean i think it it is a little bit different when you're doing things for a corporate but um yeah i think the narrative for an indie developer is quite important in in much as the way as it is for for a writer you know because Mm. people people do resonate with personal stories and that is something that an indie developer has that a company doesn't have in some ways or doesn't have in the same in the same respect. Yeah. I mean I think a lot of trouble I've found actually kind of with a few developers where, you know, they are um like socially hesitant to kind of like talk to people directly about what the app is. Yeah. Um and they'll just go through emails or anything. Um but, you know, I'm the kind of person who just kinda of wanna even like calls them talk to them you know um not forcibly i'll just say now you know like <laughs> yeah, like an arranged um interview i'm not just like gonna lock on and go tell me about your app um but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um i think that's a big thing and um, i think sometimes you just got to go out of your comfort zone really and just talk about what you love to do and also if it's an app that you're charging as well whether it's a one-off or a subscription say why you know justify it you know because people are there like ready to spend um especially with gift cards coming up for christmas i mean yeah say why your app is it stands out above the rest and like i say stuff like tiktok um certain tips and tricks in five you know 10 second videos or twitter spaces you know there's so many ways now you can do it so yeah just shout out about it that's awesome thank you daryl um thank you for coming on the show I think before we before we head off, um, I'd like to ask, like, what's next for you? It sounds like you're collecting interviews or collecting information about apps specifically around SharePlay. But is there anything else that uh, my audience might want to know about? I mean, I'm like kind of still looking into this MacBook Pro, really, just kind of really seeing like just how it kind of benefits on that M1 Pro. So, I mean. I really kind of want to find out, like, even from a developer side, like, if you've got a MacBook Pro, like, how is how is it benefiting you? I mean, are those ports actually making a difference to your workflow? You know, just things like that. Um, yeah. And again, you know, if you have an app that's being updated for SharePlay, I mean, like, just let me know. Um, you know, because I'm always curious, like, what the new updates can be, um, but how it benefits someone. Because I will say, like, quickly, like, Every time I write, I'm imagining, you know, I'm writing for my mum almost, you know, she she doesn't know about technology at all, but I want to know how I can explain in a way that and that benefits her. Yeah. So that's what I do. So if you're able to do that, um, then all the better. So that's really what I'd ask. But uh, yeah, at the minute, it really is kind of like making sure that, you know, I'm on top of um, Mac, Windows, Android, iOS, and just kind of really just getting ready for next year as well, because hopefully... There's going to be in-person events, and uh, if Dub Dub happens in person, um, I'd love to meet you all. It'd be a good time. Great stuff. On that note, then, uh, Daryl, where can people find you online? 
Uh, so many on Twitter. Uh, so just Daryl Baxter. Um, also, um, book making a Tomb Raider. Honestly, you can just Google it and you'll find it in Amazon, Pen and Sword, <laughs> um, iTunes Bookstore, Google. Yeah. Um, like all I said, good the intro. Books are sold. Yeah, yes, indeed. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I also got Power Keys, but um, because I have a wedding to sort and that's on hiatus until 2023. <laughs> um, yep. But um, you'll probably see me on some Tech Radar podcast soon as well. Um, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much it, really. Great. Thanks for coming on the show, Daryl. Yeah, no worries. Had a good time. Thank you.